Alright, let's pray and get into our sermon for today. Father, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, God, I'm reminded today that as much as we're closing a chapter, in many ways, this closing of the chapter becomes a new starting line for us, Father. And so I pray, God, speak to us today by your word. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. So we started our series in the book of Acts on September 19th, 2021. I know that seems like a long time ago. And today, November 20th, 2022, we're wrapping up the book of Acts. Oh, man. We really got to wake people up this morning. I, like, shake the person beside you. Did you get enough sleep last night? This morning we're doing sermon number 36. I know because I went back when I knew I was uh, preaching the last chapter of the book of Acts. I went and I checked how many we've done. And so sermon number 36 we're doing this morning in this series. And I want to start us off with a few questions. How do you feel? Yeah? You sure? Doesn't sound like it. How do you feel? Has anything changed in your life, in our church's life? What did we learn? And what are we going to do about it? See, the heartbeat of Acts is missions. And Jesus outlined the book in our first chapter. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And as far as the remotest part of the earth, Acts 1.8. We saw Peter preach a gospel at Pentecost in Jerusalem and then take the gospel to Judea and Samaria and to the Gentiles with Cornelius. Then Paul came and took it a step further, going on three missionary journeys throughout the ancient Roman world. And here in the last chapter, in chapter 28, Paul has brought the gospel to Rome. Jesus was right. The gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as we come to the end of Acts, Luke leaves us with the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel in the capital of the empire with all openness unhindered. And so in one sense, the mission was accomplished with the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And yet, in another sense... Luke leaves the story open and ongoing. See, Jesus' followers have been carrying on the mission for almost 2,000 years. But it is not yet thoroughly accomplished. We know that one day in heaven, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But we've still got work to do, church. We've still got work to do. We have the privilege of joining the Lord in accomplishing His purpose of being glorified among all the nations. And in that sense, the book of Acts is still being written today. And the finishing line of Acts becomes the new starting line for us. Last week, Pastor Laura did an amazing job of walking us through chapter 27. 
And we were left in a very exciting and dramatic place. Paul was on the ship that was being torn up by the waves. They ran aground, and those that could swim went first to shore. The rest of them grabbed logs or planking that were being torn off the ship, and they floated on into the shore. As Paul declared, I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Acts 27, 22. So turning now to chapter 28, let's read the first five verses. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. It should be up on the screen for you. It says, When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for they kindled the fire and took us all in because of the rain that had started and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. As we pick back up in Paul's story, we see that everyone on Paul's vessel made it safely to the land. And they found out that they had landed on an island called Malta. The people of the island were very friendly and welcoming of their new visitors. And they made a fire to help dry them off and warm them up. Paul also gathered some wood for the fire. And I think this gives us a very interesting insight into Paul and who he is. Remember... They had been enduring a storm for 14 days. And here we see Paul helping out. He's just a kind of fellow who just couldn't sit still. Paul was a doer. So they're building a fire, and rather than just letting the people gather and build a fire for them, he has joined in and gathered a bundle of sticks to throw into the fire. He was just a kind of guy who had to always be doing. Paul's servant heart was always evident. But in the midst of making the fire, as Paul was helping to gather brush, he was bitten by a viper. Interestingly, Paul didn't let it bother him. And I'd like to think that that's because the Lord had already told him in Acts 23:11 that he was going to bear witness and testify to the truth of the gospel at Rome. God didn't preserve Paul from the storm just to let him perish by a snake. Paul was protected. God promised that he would go to Rome. It wasn't so much that nothing would stop Paul as it was that nothing would stop God's promises from being fulfilled in his life. Hebrews 13.23 says, Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Church, What storm have you been going through? What trial have you been facing? I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. I don't know the outcome, but this I know. The one who walks with you is faithful. We've seen this continually through the book of Acts. When promises are made, faithfulness is just as important as ability. Therefore, it is vital to know that the one promising is not only able, but is also reliable. He's reliable, church. 
In Hebrews, we just read that we are given reason to exercise unwavering confidence in God based upon his faithfulness. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We are to persistently cling to him by faith right up until our last days on earth. This persistence of trust in God is related to his promises and his faithfulness. We can cling securely to the promises of God. We can hope confidently in God fulfilling his promises to us. We do not need to waver in doubt because God is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is faithful, church. Paul didn't scream, why God, I can't take any more of this. Or can't you see I'm serving you? Paul didn't look at those sitting by the fire and say, you lazy people, if you had only gathered wood instead of me, this wouldn't have happened to me. No, Paul's reaction seemed calm and unconcerned because he serves a God that is reliable, that is trustworthy, that is faithful. He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. And he is the same God today. Do you know that to be true, church? Do you know that to be true? Let's keep moving. It says the islanders, being superstitious, assume that this was the destiny of a bad man who the God of justice was punishing. In verse 4, justice is actually a reference to the Greek goddess of justice called Daiki. That is what they're referring to. And so the natives... Knowing Paul was a prisoner, assumed he committed a great crime. And the goddess of justice would not permit Paul to escape unpunished. And since he had escaped shipwreck, they assumed that this god was making sure he received his due punishment by sending another form of death his way. However, as time passed, Paul suffered no negative consequences which led them to believe the opposite. Rather than being cursed, perhaps, Paul was a god. And can I just say, verse 6 gives us an insight into the praises of men. Acts 28, 6 says, Now they were expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. This verse shows us how unwise it is for us to seek the fickle adulation of men. Because they may look at you in one moment as a murderer and the next moment as a god or vice versa. Like, have you ever seen an athlete go through a slump? You know, like they might be at top of the charts and doing really well or an artist, whatever it may be. And they're doing really well and they go in a slump. And people are like, well, they're just washed up. They're just washed up. Church, Scripture exhorts us not to seek the glory of man or the approval, but let's really seek the glory of God and His approval. Verses 7 to 9. It says, Now in the neighboring parts of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us warmly for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being cured. 
So God gave Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus a season of relief and replenishment. And it's interesting to me again how the Lord is watching over Paul. True, he is a Roman prisoner, but the centurion took an immediate liking to Paul and showed him many favors while bringing him to Rome. I'd say that also has to do with the Spirit of God in Paul. Now, he's shipwrecked on the island, and the natives treat them with great kindness. And now the leader, the jefe of the island, receives them into his house and treats them very courteously. The treatment they received on the island of Malta was very good, and God worked his healing powers among the Maltese people through the Apostle Paul. My prayer is that we too would be known as messengers of healing wherever we go. That life spring would become known as a place of healing, whether that be physical, spiritual, or emotional. That will be a place where people can have their sails amended before sending them off to sea. I don't want the museum model of the church where we steward a Sunday morning show that people come to see. Rather, may LifeSpring continue to be a hospital where people come to be healed from all walks of life. As a matter of fact, we just read that in James chapter 2 this morning. May the rich, may the poor come. People from all walks of life come to be healed by the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us and may we carry that spirit with us wherever we go this morning in our pre-service prayer we had uh, Pastor Dan invited the pastor from the uh, local Presbyterian church Pastor John and we prayed for him and I was in tears because I said man I'm talking about I want us to be a place where that happens. We have always been open to that. It's not that we haven't seen those things happen here. But Pastor Mary said it. There's a fresh wind of the Spirit blowing. The Holy Spirit is pouring out. Are you ready to align yourself with heaven and walk into that which the Spirit is calling you to walk into? So God provides for them, but also blesses them. During their visit, verse 10 says, They also showed us many honors, and when we were about to set sail, they supplied us with everything we needed. Now, beginning in verse 11, Luke gives us details about the ship and each of the cities they stopped in. Remember, their ship, the one they were on before, had been destroyed at sea. First, they sailed to Syracuse, and Syracuse was a famous city in the ancient world, being the capital of the island of Sicily. Then they went on to Regium, and finally to Petuli, where they met some other Christians and spent a week with them before traveling to Rome. Luke tells us in verse 16 that when they finally arrived in Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Let's read those verses. Verses 11 to 16. Paul arrives in Rome. After three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island. So you know winter, it runs for three months. Unless you've spent some time in Michigan, it's like five or six months. All right? But three months. We're talking about three months here. This is what historians tell us. So 
they set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Now, the twin brothers that are being referred to here are Castor and Pollux, who are the twin half-brothers of Zeus in Greek and Roman mythology. They were believed to protect sailors and give them favorable winds at sea. So that's why they had them there. Verse 12. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium, And a day later, a south wind came up, and on the second day, we came to Petuli. There, we found some brothers and sisters, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. That is how we came to Rome. And And from there, the brothers and sisters, when they heard about us, came as far as the market of Aphius and the three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took Courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier to with the soldier who was guarding him. So finally, the promise was fulfilled. I've mentioned it a few moments before that God is faithful. He is a promise keeper. He keeps his word. And here, in these verses, in verse 16 specifically. We see the promise fulfilled at Jerusalem. It was promised to Paul that he would make it to Rome, Acts 23, 11. And that promise was repeated during the two weeks of the storm when the angel told him, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. You can find that in Acts 27, verses 23 and 24. Also, in verses 14 and 15, we see that as Paul and others made their way up the peninsula, They spent time with fellow followers of Jesus. Eventually, they were greeted outside Rome by Christians from Ephesus and three inns. These places were about 40 miles away, and they made that journey by foot. Imagine that. These groups had received Paul's famous letter to the Romans a few years before, so they probably felt like they knew Paul already, and they certainly wanted to honor him. In light of the love and honor behind this greeting, no wonder that Paul thanked God and took courage. Church, no matter where you go in the world, if you can find a body of believers, surprisingly, you can feel at home. You can feel strengthened and encouraged. I've had the privilege of traveling to numerous countries, and on a lot of those travels, I'd find a local church. And whenever I would gather together with other believers, I would feel at home. There's just a warmth of God's love. And you realize that you're among friends. You are among the family of God. And so I encourage you, wherever you go, maybe on your next trip, it could be even stateside, somewhere in the U.S. or internationally. Find a local church. Be encouraged by their ministry. Pray for them. Encourage them as well. You're with family. And we see this happening here. Let's look at, let's pick up at verse 17. We'll read all the way through to 28. After three days, Paul called together those who were leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brothers, though I had nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet... I was handed over to the Romans as a prisoner from Jerusalem. 
And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there were no grounds for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, since I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor has any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are regarding this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things said by Paul, but others would not believe. And when they disagreed with one another, they began leaving after Paul said one parting statement. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing and will not understand, and you will keep on seeing and will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have become insensitive, and with their ears they hardly hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. So not one to waste time, three days after arriving in Rome, Paul called together the leaders of the Jews to explain his situation. Paul is wanting to assure the Jewish leadership in Rome that he's not there to speak against the nation of Israel. That is not his purpose. He's there because of this political situation and he had to make his appeal, but he wants to assure them that he's not going to be making any derogatory accusations against the nation. Strangely enough, they had not even received word from Jerusalem that Paul was coming. So they were not looking to argue with him. However, they had heard about this group of Jews who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And they wanted to hear more about it. Let's read that verse again, verse 23. It says, When they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Without making much of a short verse here, I'd like to draw your attention to Paul's method for sharing the gospel. When he does get a chance to speak to his audience, we hear three words used to communicate his message. They are explaining, testifying, and persuade. The word persuade in this context means reasoning with one by words. Essentially, Paul was making a case for Christ. That's what he was doing. 
And therefore, for us today, I'd like to remind you, for those of us sitting here, those of you who are tuned in online, those of you who will listen to this at a later date, i like to remind you that we really do sit on the witness stand for Christ by sharing what we've seen with our own eyes, how he's transformed our lives, but also by how we live our lives. Verse 24 tells us that some were convinced, but others would not believe. Always, that's a result of preaching the gospel. Some will believe, some will not. They were all exposed to the same truth, the same proofs. Some of them believe, some of them did not. Church, the gospel always calls us to examine what we believe to be true. And Paul, as he continues reasoning with the Jews, quoted Isaiah 6, 9-10 to them which was a prophecy about how some of the Jews would harden their hearts. And then he explained that because of their hard hearts, God was now declaring salvation through him to the Gentiles as well. The chapter then closes out with the following, verse 30 to 31. He says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know, after having preached on this passage, I recognized that there were multiple themes I could focus on. And we see some interesting things here that we must Make note of. And so I'll, I'll highlight a couple of things here. Number one, to Paul, it might have looked like a great tragedy being shipwrecked and having to swim to shore, the peril of his life. But yet God was using that disaster to bring his truth to these people at Malta. And so my question to you would be, what do you do when your ship is broken? And you've come to the end of yourself. I'd encourage you today, thank God for what you have. And then begin to rebuild your life on the foundation of God's heart for you. God is not finished with you. Press on, knowing that his favor is still on your life. Even if there are shipwrecks and storms, and there will be, he is the one who brings beauty out of ashes. He will rebuild your life on this shore foundation. Number two, and I mentioned this already, the gospel confronts us with a choice. And all of us must examine and re-examine what we believe to be true. Paul's Jewish audience listens to him until he quotes the prophet Isaiah. The crowd listened to his testimony until Paul said, God's plan of salvation is also for the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Paul is warning them not to harden their hearts. But because they do, God is going to use it to send the gospel outward to the Gentiles. We know from the last couple of verses that Paul, while he's there in Rome, sitting in the prison for two years, spent his time witnessing to those that came to him but also writing some of his New Testament epistles. So as I wrestle with how to close this sermon series on the book of Acts, 
The obvious primary emphasis, as I just mentioned, is the continuation of gospel proclamation through the church. God's plan to bring salvation to mankind was literally fleshed out through Jesus. And as Jesus returned to heaven, he passed that ministry or this ministry on to humanity. Initially, his disciples led the way in carrying out his mission, particularly Peter. Then the torch was passed on to Paul, who who took the mission even further unto the Gentiles. But since the first century, innumerable thousands have anonymously been faithful to living out lives of righteousness and connectedness with the lost that has allowed them to bring salvation to millions of people. Therefore, we cannot leave the book of Acts without understanding that the torch has now been passed on to us, to you and I, today. May we continue Jesus' mission with great boldness and passion. We must leave the book of Acts with an urgency of the mandate for us to carry on his work. The Christian life is not easy. Telling authors about Jesus is not easy. But it is too important to neglect. It is eternally important. Did Paul have to endure hardship? Yes, lots of it. But remember how Luke ended the book of Acts. Acts 28, 31 said, He proclaimed the kingdom of God and thought about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now you studied the whole book with me. Was Paul's minister without hindrance? Was it? Hardly. But Paul's mindset said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth it to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us in Romans 8.18. And this must be your attitude as well. There should be nothing that hinders us from spreading the gospel. It is the reason we exist. Let nothing stop you in your pursuit of filling heaven with those you meet on earth. When I face tough times, when I face rejection or harassment... For my faith, I remember what Jesus was willing to go through to save my life. He suffered death for me. And you might be facing some tough times, but you haven't died yet. So remember Jesus and his sacrificial love and carry on. Paul gives Timothy an instruction that I think has the power to change our lives. He tells him in verses 10 to 13 of 2 Timothy 2 to live with eternity in view. Paul says that because of what Jesus has done for him and because eternity hangs in the balance for the souls of people around him, he is willing to endure everything for the sake of the salvation of others. I'd like to call up the worship team at this time. What are you enduring, church? What storms are you going through? What trials are you walking out in your life, in the marketplace, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids? He is the way maker. He is the promise keeper. We are to live with eternity in view each and every day. And if we do, we will be moved to faithful living. May our hearts be burdened for the lost.
May our hearts be burdened to share the gospel. May the book of Acts inspire us and convict us to fulfill our God-given mission to make disciples of all nations. You are, you are, you are the next chapter of Acts. So what is God calling you to do? And where do you sense the Spirit's leading? Will you obey or will you harden your heart? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And I said this a few moments ago, God, but you are indeed pouring out your spirit, God, afresh and new. And I believe that we have those in here, God. I know I am willing, God, but I believe we have those who are still willing today, not only in this church, but in the in Edgewood, across this country, across this world, who is seeking your face to pour your spirit out, God. We want to see prophecy, God. We want to see the young men and young old men prophesy, God. We want to see healings, God. We want to be walking by the power of your spirit, Father. So may we truly, God, fulfill what you've called us to, Father. May we place ourselves in a posture, God. May we seek your forgiveness for the things that we need to take out of our lives. May we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To do surgery in our heart. To remove the things that require us to walk closely and more deeply with you, God. We need a fresh wind, God. Pour your spirit out, Father. Pour your spirit out, God. You've done it before. You can do it again. You are faithful. You are the same, God, Lord. We thank you for your word today. In your name I pray. Amen.